Would you join me tonight in the book of Revelation, chapter 3? The book of Revelation, chapter 3. We have shared this in the past, that there are a couple of things. In order to have some comprehension of this book, there are a couple of things that we must have at least some elementary understanding of, and that is, all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth. Number one. Number two. To have some elementary understanding of this book, you also have to have some at least elementary understanding that he reigns. Presently, now, as we speak, he is reigning. He sits on his throne. He is reigning. He is in power and authority over all creation. He's in the power and authority all over all mankind. And yes, he rules and reigns in yesterday's elections. He is always sovereign and will not give up that place that he owns. He's the creator, and it is quite evident as we go through these seven churches of Asia that, number one, all power is given unto him in heaven and in earth, and number two, he reigns. He is an absolute authority over all those churches and all the circumstances that they're going through, and all the persecution that they're enduring, and every word that he writes to them, he is sharing with them, I know. He is omniscient, he's omnipresent, he has these characteristics, these attributes, that are so plainly taught in this book. Now as we come through this third chapter and approach the fourth chapter, we certainly will see our God reigns. And all power and all authority is given unto him in heaven and in earth. And whatsoever he does, he does according to a divine plan and purpose that was predestined before the world began. Not once will we find him anywhere in scripture surprised. He always has a purpose. History has never been changed. It's on exact course. Now, we as humans may think sometimes that that event changed history, but it only was God's divine purpose and plan being carried out. Now, there's a verse that came to my mind as I was sitting there singing the songs and that really, I believe, is relevant to what we read with regard to these seven churches of Asia particularly when we realize that the God of heaven came and gave them a letter, individually written to the, to the pastor, the star, of, or the angel of every one of these churches, and with divine love, and with a forethought shared with each of these seven churches, we find that this God is so carefully overwatching everything that's going on and purposed in his churches. Now, this verse is found in Matthew 18. So keep your finger right there in Revelation chapter 3. And I just want to read one verse out of Matthew 18 with regard to the kindness that the Lord shared, even to the church at Laodicea. They're often beat on, but please... God spoke to them. They're often maligned, but God spoke to them. He gave them ample opportunity 
to leave the position that they were on and turn again to Christ. He gave them ample opportunity to hear the gospel. He gave them ample opportunity to go back to where they started from. And where do we start from? We start from Christ. That's where he gives us life. So Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name. Now that does not mean that it's just in his name only, but in the truths that are contained in his name. The truths about him. He is not saying, I'll just gather with anybody that says, I'm following Jesus. But there's going to be some significant uh, items that those people are agreed upon that will permit the Lord Jesus to gather with them. He will not gather with people that deny his word. He will not gather with people who deny his purpose. He will not gather with people who deny his salvation Gather, he will not gather with people who deny that he is God and beside him there is none else. He will, not deny, he will not gather with people that deny the gospel account found in the word of God that he had a people in his purpose before the world began and that he came for a purpose to die for those people on the cross. He will gather with people that are in agreement because he has changed their heart in agreement about the gospel. But he says, those people that are gathered together in my name and all that that significant is, there will I be with them also. Now what a blessing, what a blessing to have the God that sits on a high and lifted throne. As it says there, gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, I find that here in these seven churches of Asia. My, he has gathered with them. He has sent a letter to them, personal letter, personal letter. I remember at one time sending my fiance a typewritten letter. <laughs> I did it once. <laughs> she says, honey, I want it handwritten. Well, I, I only had to be told once. But the type she could read the typewritten one. <laughs> but isn't that valuable? Do you we have been inundated with letters from people who wanted us to vote for them. <laughs> just inundated. But I just love getting a letter handwritten from someone who cares. And these churches must have felt the same way. They got a letter from someone who cared. Cared what was going on. Cared about them departing from the faith. Cared about them skipping over those things that might be offensive. Now, I think that's what's happening here in the church at Sardis. So let us read here in the book of Revelation chapter 3. And we notice here that Christ is revealed to them in ways that... Uh, in the combination of all of these, and we have the privilege of putting them all together, but he revealed himself here under the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, 
and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou art that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Now, when I head out from here to go to the town I grew up in, I, I, I hope I don't call it my hometown anymore. This is my hometown. But I head out there and I get down to uh, Lapine, and I take off to the left on Highway 31, it cuts across to Highway 395. Now, out there in the wilderness, in the high desert, is a little town called Silver Lake. Now, at the turn of the century, Silver Lake was having a Christmas party. So, a hundred years ago now. And I, I've never, I didn't live early enough for people to put candles on a dry Christmas tree. But in that day, they did. They put dry. They put candles on their Christmas tree, and they had them lit. And uh, someone bumped into that tree and knocked it over, and it started this fire. Now, the, they were having this party in an upstairs of a building that didn't have adequate fire escapes. <laughs> and, oh, it, it rampaged. And many people were injured, and a lot of people died. There's a monument in the cemetery. Now, word was taken 90 miles away to Lakeview. There was a Dr. Daly down there. And Dr. Daly got in a buggy, and he rode 90 miles that night in a buggy to get to that catastrophe. Now, when he pulled in, they had people laid out that were dead. He couldn't help them. But the dying... That's the ones he went to help. Now, that's the ones the Lord's sending a letter to. There's a lot of difference between dead and dying. A lot of difference. Now, there's several reasons that people may be dying. And as we look at this, some of the reasons may have been they weren't getting proper food. <laughs> they weren't getting proper water. I'm talking about spiritual food and spiritual water. They weren't having... They weren't getting what they needed, and they had the appearance of dying. Now, they weren't dead. Now, in order for them to be dying, they had to be made alive. So there's a big difference here in this church between those who had been regenerated and those who were still dead in their trespasses and sin. You can't be dying if you're dead. And you can be dying if you're made alive. And I'm convinced that there were some people in this church as it says here, you're dying because they were on poor rations. Now, I've been in a position like that. I don't know about you, but I've been there. I've been in a position where I felt like I was spiritually dying. And when I heard the clear word of God, it was like water being poured on a parched sponge. <laughs> We we have sponge, those paper sponges, dry out, get hard, and, you know, they're a sponge, and they're hard, and they're dying, but you get them around some water, and they just soak up, and pretty soon they're malleable, pliable, and can be used for their intended purposes. Now, when I left the place I was dying and went to the place where the preacher started on Ephesians chapter 1 the Sunday I got there, 
It was like a breath of fresh air. This dying soul was being rejuvenated. This dying spirit was being rejuvenated. I was dying. Now, I'd been made alive, but I, I was just dying. <laughs> and, and we're going to see some of that here. There's a great difference between spiritually dying and spiritually dead. There's just a big difference. And Lord is the only one that can help us turn to hear the clear sound of the gospel. The gospel of a successful God. Gospel of a successful Christ. A God that sits on a throne. There's nothing will stir the hearts of a believer than hearing that their Savior is a great Savior. That their God is a great God. That he saves great sinners. And he does it with great power. And he will not release them and allow them to go. They may get into a position where they're in a dying situation, but Dr. Daly is on the way. <laughs> He'll leave the dead alone, but he will take care of the dying. And there were many people in that fire when Dr. Daly got there that he was used of God to save their life, tended to their burns and, and uh, all of those things. And so there were quite a number of survivors, but... I, I can't imagine traveling all night, 90 miles in a buggy and getting there and, and trying to help people, but he did. He was given extra grace, I guess we'd have to say. And so here we are, this church here at Sardis. I do want to uh, read on verse 3. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch I will come as on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis. Oh, I love that. My goodness. I have a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, for I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now, first of all, we notice in this verse 1 that the Lord revealed himself unto the church at Sardis, he that hath seven spirits. Now, we ran into this in chapter 1 and verse 4, and we just want to restate this. There is not seven persons that make up the Spirit of God. Now, that word number seven is a complete number of every need that we have, the Holy Spirit is used to fulfill. And turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, and we find in this verse of Scripture that there are seven aspects, spiritually speaking, that the Holy Spirit uh, demonstrates, and we are the recipients of every one of these aspects when he gives us the new birth. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 11, we read these words with regard to the Spirit and the Spirit's blessing to his people. Now, as it says there, seven spirits. We don't have seven bodies. We don't have seven persons. It's given us the Spirit's seven whole complete gifts and graces this number is specific as implying a fullness and perfection of all the gifts and blessings of the Holy Ghost. 
that imparts to the church in Christ. Now, we do find in the book of Ephesians, he says, every spiritual blessing is given to us in Christ. None of them in any other aspect. We don't get it in any of the ordinances. We get every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not through a physical means. It's always through spiritual means. Now, book of Isaiah, chapter 11, verse 2, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now, we find witness of that in his personal ministry. The Holy Spirit of God came down and attested the fact that this is the Messiah. This is the one that has been appointed. This is the one that bowed before the council halls of eternity and was ordained of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit to be our Redeemer and to be our Savior. He bowed before They placed, if you please, hands upon him in that great ordination before the world began, that he would be the anointed one and the appointed one to be the redeemer of all his people. Now, the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit also comes upon his people. The Holy Spirit is said to have to come and convict or convince the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Sin. The Holy Spirit, I can't convince you of that. But there's one more powerful that can. He can. And he does. He does us all. The Holy Spirit is the only one that can convince us. Now, if we convince each other, one's going to go away mad. <laughs> well, brother, I got, a, I, got a, I got a word to tell you. Uh, I've been watching your life, and you're just going to have to clean up right here. And... Someone's going to go away mad. And the other person's walking away with a black eye. That's all there is to it. The Holy Spirit, take care of that. Convince us. Convict us. He does that in regeneration. When he shows us after we've been regenerated what sinners we are. Of righteousness. Of righteous sin and righteousness. My goodness, we come to this world absolutely unrighteous, and he convinces us of the one that is absolutely righteous. Righteous, and sin, righteous, and judgment. Now, I like this part, what the Holy Spirit convinces us of. I can honestly say this, and I remember telling a preacher one time after the Lord saved me, I don't fear the devil anymore. Now, I was taught, boy... He's after you, and he's going to have you, and he's going to wrestle you down, and he's going to mistreat you, and all the rest of your Christian life is going to be in agony against the devil. And the Lord taught, teaches in his word, taught me, I took care of him at the cross. Now, your greatest enemy is yourself. That's my greatest enemy is myself. Satan was taken care of at the cross. He said he killed him, put him to death, put him to an open shame. Now, when I read there, the Holy Spirit is going to convince us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment because the God of this world is judged. You know what else the God of this world is? Our old religion. It's judged to unworthy. Fake. 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 Won't hold water. So everything that we held to and all that we feared has been taken care of. Holy Spirit's ministry on God's people 
Convince them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of righteousness of Christ. There is no no better. There is no, there's nothing to substitute for the righteousness of Christ. Now, going back over here to the book of Isaiah, chapter 11. Speaking of this, verse 2, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Now notice this, the spirit of wisdom. If you want spiritual wisdom, you're only going to get it through the Holy Spirit. There is nowhere else to get it. And he gives it sovereignly. Sovereignly. I I know preachers, man, I'd give my eye tooth to be as wise as they are. He gave it to them sovereignly. That doesn't mean that we're going to be static or standing still. But he gives it to us sovereignly. He goes on here, the Holy Spirit, this aspect of the Holy Spirit, understanding. Oh my, to have some understanding of our position before God and God and sin. The Holy Spirit, this aspect of the Holy Spirit teaches us this. And counsel, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel. Be up against a brick wall and have the Holy Spirit through his word revealed to us. This is what I want you to do. This is what I have for you. The spirit of counsel, giving us counsel at all times. He is our counselor. And then he goes on to say here, he's and might. Uh, if you want might, spiritual might, it comes through the Holy Spirit. We look at Moses. Moses was, when it came to, he was, um, uh, no one was like him in meekness. Meekness, he says that he was the meekest man. He was uh, mighty. Meekness means power under control. And he was had might. God's people have a might about them. I, I look at this as God's people are just gracious. They have power given unto them, but they are and might given unto them, but they're gracious with it. It goes on to say the spirit of knowledge. We have knowledge only through the Holy Spirit. And fear, we only have fear about God through the Holy Spirit. The the wicked have no fear of God. The only ones that have a true respect and reverence for God are God's people, the church. They're the ones that are bowing down and saying, worthy is the Lamb. And no one has their hand on their back pushing them down. They're willingly bowing before a thrice holy God and worshiping with every fiber of their being and singing great songs of redemption to him because the Holy Spirit has revealed that unto us. Now, that verse over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 3 and verse 1, he that hath the seven spirits of God, he sovereignly displays them, he sovereignly gives them in every aspect about the Holy Spirit and about the Spirit of God and about God himself. He's the one that reveals God. You cannot come to me. That's earth-shattering words. They're in the book of John. You cannot come to me except the Father which has sent me draw you. And you know what? A whole bunch of people got mad. Instead of saying, I want to know more, they got upset at the one who delivered the message. God grant us the grace to say, I want to know more about that. 
God grant us the grace to say, I want to find out about that. If I can't come to you without the leading of the Father, please, oh God, give me that. Don't make me mad about it. Don't make me upset about it. Give me the grace to come. You know, that's what God, God's going to do. He's going to make us madder. He's going to make us glad. But it's us getting mad. Oh, no one, we know that after he regenerated, we know we didn't ever come. We were bound up, held and fettered. Sin held us in sway. We were under the confines of judgment and jail. And it is he that permitted us to go free. And then we know no man can come to the son, but the father which has sent him, draw him. Bring us out of the pit. Bring us out of the mire. Bring us out of sin. Bring us out of self. Bring us out of uh, everything around us. He had to draw us out. We come kicking and screaming. You ever? My dad talked about cows getting out in the muck, out in, in mud. They'd pull them out, and the cow wanted to take them. Isn't that just? We'd say that cow ought to be thankful. Well, people come kicking and screaming, and then when they get out. They thank God for the rope around their neck. Thank God. Now, it says here, be watchful. Oh, excuse me. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. This is not a nation. This is a church. There's never been a Christian nation in all the world. Never has been. Never will be. Now there's some Christians that live in some of them. But there's never been a Christian nation. There's been a, a, a supposed theocracy and that was Israel. And look what they did with God. There's been some people... And our forebears, forefathers in America, had some Christian principles about them. But you read, very few of them knew the Lord. There's not been a Christian nation. Now, he's not talking about a nation. He's talking about a church. He's talking about a group of people. And he says, I know thy works. Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. It's not an age, but it's a church. Numbers there are who take up with the name to live who never were regenerated and consequently are still dead in trespasses and sin. Now the Lord had 12 disciples. I use the word Lord, L, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. The Lord had 12 disciples that spent three and a half years with him in training, and one of them was unregenerate. And there were times when we look at all of those disciples, and the Lord could have said to each and every one of them, you're dying, but you're not dead. Look at Peter when Jesus was arrested and look at the rest of the disciples. They all did the same thing. You're dying, but you're not dead. You've been made alive. You cannot die. You cannot be dead, but you can be in the dying process. 
and God's people, as here Smyrna shares with us, there was some people in here that were not following the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they were in the process of dying. Their food supply was nil, and their water supply was terrible. And all the other things that could have been, their shelter was awry. What is the only solution for this? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only solution. If you're dying, there's only one hope. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're dead in trespasses and sin, that's the only hope too. God has purposed that his gospel is going to be used to raise people through the power of his spirit, in a miraculous way, raise them from the spiritual dead. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. It is only by regeneration or the new birth that the child of God enters into the sheepfold and everyone else that comes up any other way is called a thief and a robber. Now notice with me here in the book of Matthew chapter 6. The instructions are given. Now, there are some here that he is instructing that are dead. But he is using his great grace to deliver the dying back to the living. Now, notice this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. The scripture says, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogue, and in the streets that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When it comes to alms, to giving, don't toot the horn. Now there seems to have been, seems to have been those in Sardis that had forgotten this principle. That they were boasting about their alms. Now I'm just surmising. What would bring this kind of word against a church of the living God by the Lord God Almighty, a letter to the pastor to help them come out of their days? What would be responsible for them to be in such a condition except they had taken their eyes off the Lord Jesus Christ and had their eyes on themselves. And here we find the solution for that. Don't do it before men. Don't do it because of men. And it goes on here in the book of Matthew chapter uh, 6 and verse 3. But when thou doest thine alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. Now that's life-giving. When he rewards us openly, when he speaks to us, draws us, my goodness, this is the way that God has intended. And if the church at Sardis will receive a warning for allowing other things to take over, then he will also send warnings to our soul. We, in the book of Matthew chapter uh, 23, would you turn there with me? As we see, their works were not perfect. In Matthew chapter 23, we read these words. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 5. 
But all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. And the key word in there is to be seen of men. Now there was a problem in in Sardis in the sense that God said there's some in there that are just out and out dead. And that's just normal as can be in any church anywhere. But the other part that gives us hope and lends to us the grace of God is there's some in here that are dying. Now there is a great physician that is about the business of recuperating, rejuvenating, pulling out, lifting up, healing the dying. Those that are dying, those that are dying because of circumstances, those that are dying because of the message they're not hearing, whatever the reason, there is one that is able to lift us out of that pit. And that's the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Dying has hope. Death doesn't. If there's a crash, the police take care of the living. The undertaker takes care of the dead. There's hope if you're living. Here in the book of Matthew, chapter 23, verse 28, we read these words. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and envy. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous. And say, if I had been in the days of our fathers... We would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Oh, my goodness. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. Now, prayer, fasting, alms, they're not for show or to be heard. They're between you and God. And that's it. That's it. Now, let's look here at... What might have happened in the church at Sardis to bring on this grave condition that had developed, and yet it is not so grave that the Lord would not come and deal with them and say, Oh, repent, turn, turn, turn us, and we shall be turned. They had set aside Christ, they had quit talking and telling comers, I believe this, this is how people are going to die. This is how believers will die. This is how believers will die. They quit telling people about total depravity. And they put salve over the word of God. Quit telling people about sin. And sinners. And Adam. And what happened in the fall. And what happened in the Garden of Eden. And what happened to his posterity. Because if you don't have that then there's no need to have that God Almighty would send His Son to save sinners. There's no need of a Savior. And really, we're dead. We're not dying, if that's our condition. uh, They had uh, forgotten to tell the comers that were there because of offenses of election and predestination. Oh, that just tells us of a wonderful God that is so interested in saving his people from their sins that he'd get things started before the world began. 
It's a glorious thing to realize that God is so great and so powerful and so eternal that he had the interest of saving people before the world ever began. And that brings people that are dying to life. God Almighty cared about me before the world began. I was, and the world doesn't want us to know that we're totally depraved. We're just in a little shipwreck. But the Bible tells us so clearly where we are by nature. And once you've ever been given a grasp of that, then my goodness, you just need a God that's big enough to take consideration of us before the world began. And you can just see those who have the appearance of death but are just dying start to take some breath into their nostrils because, oh my, there's a great God being spoken about how little God is among the general consensus of people and how great he is when he saves his people and assembles his church and causes them to see him. They had quit when people came. They had quit. Now, they may do it over their coffee clutches, but when the general population was there, they had quit talking about a God that was so in love with his people that he would choose them before time began. And you know what? When that goes out, it sends the breath of life. Start to take breath. I know I'm a sinner beyond all sinners. And a God so big that he can save his people from their sins and purpose to do that. And this is how he did it. He had a love for me, an everlasting love, an eternal love, a love before time, a a love before we were created, love before we were born, before we could do any good or evil. He had a love for his people and how that breath comes upon his people and begins to raise them out of their lackadaisicalness and their wretchedness and their dying. And then we find, as went on there, they probably had forgot telling about regeneration and effectual call. There were some in the church that had started teaching that you can be educated into the kingdom. We just I, I mentioned this this morning. I had a pastor one time that said the Catholics, he said the Catholics had said, if we can have a child till they're five, they're ours forever. And you know what? How little God is when a statement is made like that. Because if that be true, then every one of us are doomed to a devil's hell. God is greater than that. He sends out his effectual call in among all groups and peoples of people that don't even believe in a God and a people that believe in a, in a fake God and a dead God and a little God and an immaterial God. They sends out his effectual call to the preaching of the gospel and draws people out of every kindred, nation, people, and tongue for his glory and honor and his praise. And when people are in a dying state and they begin to hear that he's the one that called us out of this world and called us to himself and called us out of sin, oh, breath starts to run through our veins Breath starts to enter into our lungs. I can just see that great army over there in the 37th chapter of the book of Ezekiel. What'd they hear? The purpose of God in Christ Jesus the Lord preached to them. 
and breath was given. And then, oh, they didn't miss this one, though. Even, even though there's a whole bunch of people in the church of Sardis that are not believers, they didn't miss this one. We believe once saved, always saved. Everybody does. That's, that's the one we want to hang on to. But you can't have that if you don't have the rest. No man can come unto me except, except the Father which given him. Uh, it's given of the Father. So, even at that, notice in verse 4, thou hast a few names even in Sardis. You know who those are? Those are the dying ones. They're the ones who are just waiting for a message to come along and bring them out of that. They're just waiting for a message about God saving total depraved sinners. They're waiting for a message of God's predestination and purpose of grace. They're waiting for a message of His effectual call, His elective grace. They're waiting for a message that goes beyond once saved, always saved. They're going, they're wanting to hear a message that when God saves His people, He will not let them go. It just matters. It just depends on who saved you. Now, if the Lord God Almighty saved you, he will not let his people go. It's not up to us, it's up to him. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. Now, notice in verse 5, it says, He that overcometh. Now, turn with me back to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Sardis had a group of people that were dying. There was a bunch of them and they're dead. But some were dying. A few names that had, n that, uh, that had not given up. A few names that he was watching over. Thou hast a few names in Sardis which have not defiled their garments. They have, they're his people and he'll bring them out. Now notice here in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. These are the overcomers. If you ever want to overcome, this is the formula. <laughs> I hate to use that word, but this is it. How are you going to overcome? Oh, it's not us, Lord. It's not us. It's you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. For whosoever is born of God, whosoever is regenerated, whosoever has been given life by the Lord, Whosoever, whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Now those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God have been regenerated. That's the only way that you can confess this great truth about God overcomers are born of God, regenerated by God. And so in the church at Sardis, there are a few whose names, uh, uh, even in Sardis, have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And this is security. Notice this. This is perseverance of the saints and this is preservation of god's people what does he say i will not blot out his name out of the book of life that's the same passage of scripture that we find over in malachi i'm the lord i change not therefore ye sons of jacob are not consumed 
even though you are dying and the preaching of the gospel can bring you out of this lethargy that you're in, you just get your ear off of that stuff and get back to Christ. Oh, he said, even in that, I'll not blot your names out of the Lamb's book of life. I'll not. That's eternal security. That is eternal security. That is perseverance of the saints and preservation of the saints. That's what it is. It's Christ saying, I have, I have a covenant for you. And as a result of that covenant, I'll not blot your names out of the book of life. And then he goes on to tell us there, and I'll confess his name before my father and before his angels. You know, there's one way the Lord can confess us before the Father and his angels that takes on every other confession. Him sitting at the right hand of the Father with the wounds that he endured to save us from our sin. That's how he confesses us. I'm here. I've overcome. I took on every enemy of the church and came out victorious and just as promised I ascended back to the Father. Father, restore unto me the glory that I had with you before the world was. And you know what? It happened. And now he is in constant, constant, he is in constant confession of his people before the Father and before his angels. I am here and I have these wounds. And you know what? He didn't have to say a word. He was welcomed back by the Father and all his angels. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father, never again having to work. <laughs> Priests in the Old Testament had to work every day. This high priest sat down when he had once endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now set down at the right hand of the Father. And then he goes on to tell us here, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Lord, give us ears to hear. Lord, if I'm dying, revive thy work. Lord, pray I'm not dead. Pray I'm just dying. And if your Spirit is so pleased to bring your word to me, you'll bring me out of that. I know it. I can confess it. Boy, there will nothing bring anybody out of that like the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. That's everything is contained in there. Everything I was missing. Every vitamin, mineral, every bit of food and every bit of water that I was missing in what I was hearing was fulfilled in the hearing of the book of Ephesians, chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4, chapter 5 and chapter 6. It all came, and you know, it was just like a flower that's been starved for water, and it finally gets some water on it. The leaves get, they get all filled out, and the, and the flower raises up. It's a miracle. <laughs> it's a miracle. But God does that for his people. And he said to Sardis, there's some in there, they're dead. There's some in there dying. And this letter was sent to that preacher to get the job done. 
quit messing around and start preaching the gospel, the gospel of God's free grace in Christ Jesus and all that goes with it so that those people that are dying can get back to life. That's God's way. Oh, I wonder how many around are dying. They just need a good dose of great God. (laughs) Great God. Capital G. Capital O. Capital D. They just come out of that spindliness to hear the great God. All right, we'll close there.